If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To support the show starting at $2 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. This episode is also supported by our sponsor, Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. I was really excited to share this with you because I've actually been using Osea's skincare myself for the past few years, and I love it. The Hyaluronic C Serum specifically has been helping to keep my skin hydrated in this dry climate in California. To get $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, you can head to oseamalibu.com slash greendreamer, and the discount will automatically be applied when you check out. Again, that's oseamalibu.com slash green dreamer. We hope to survive. I think we have to acknowledge that we're inextricably connected with all life on this planet. And we need to mend our broken linkages with one another and with our, our mother earth. That was Fred Provenza, a behavioral ecologist and the author of Nourishment, What Animals Can Teach Us About Rediscovering Our Nutritional Wisdom. This is part two of our two-part conversation, so be sure to tune in to episode 190 first for part one, and then stay tuned as we're about to wrap up our conversation by further exploring what Hollands are and what we can learn from the perspective that our planet and all the life within it operate at different levels of consciousness and senses of whole, part, and self. How we can at the same time accept the fact that our Earth is constantly consuming herself and in transformation, while reclaiming our power to do what we can in our lifetimes to realize the world that we wish to live in, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
I want to bring this up because I found it super fascinating is that you found that the self-selected palate for nutrient-rich foods decreases with vitamin fortification, meaning that our innate abilities to sense and learn what foods are more nutritious for us and what we may need more of at different times and at different stages in our lives, that's compromised when we fortify our foods with vitamins and supplements. But given that much of our current food from industrialized agriculture may be declining in nutrition levels and are not as healthy as whole foods used to be, do you think that supplementation is necessary sometimes because of this broken food system we've set up? And if so, how do we do that while also trying to relearn the functions of our self-selected palate? The origins of, of that whole notion that you're raising came from so many studies where we would we would be offering animals choices of alternatives out on, on landscapes. And if we supplemented them, we would look at whether or not that changed the choices they made. And it very often did. Uh, I could give example after example after example of that, not only for nutrients, but also for medicines. If we wormed animals, they wouldn't eat foods that, that could naturally deworm them. So, so that was the basis. And then we start saying, well, what happens when we take and process foods, and then we uh, enrich them and fortify them with things that we've already taken out of those foods. It just, it was a little bit mind-twisting to think about those things. Now, certainly there are cases where we can become deficient, but I often wonder, and I don't, I know from reviews that I've read in the U.S., in the U.K., that the nutritional quality of the of the produce, the fruits and produce that we eat has declined over the last 50 years. That that has been shown, absolutely. So then that raises the question that, that you're saying, well, you know, then do we, do we need to supplement? And that's where I start to wonder, to what degree can we get what we need? And, and that's where I see some of Joe Robinson's, you know, Joe Robinson has written some interesting books on on those kind of things, and, and which varieties, because then it gets down to, well, which varieties are the best for us to buy? Because some varieties are going to be better for you nutritionally than others. Then it depends on the soils they're grown on and so forth. But I think it takes some work, but a person can start to think about what are the best varieties to buy in, in the grocery store if one's shopping there. What are the best varieties to grow in one's garden if if one is, is growing a garden? And then, of course, letting them vine ripen. You know, when things are picked green, there's no chance for the plant to do its thing to put in all those compounds that it ultimately wants to put in to entice us to, to actually eat that fruit. So both those are are ways to try to, to get back to what you're talking about. This paper, too, that I mentioned, let food not nutrient is the basic unit in nutrition, addresses that question you did. And they acknowledge, certainly, you know, there are cases where we can become deficient. But those are really fairly rare. The body tends to, will tend to give us signals that will encourage us to eat more of X, Y, or, or Z. Hmm. There's another point here that relates to carbon footprint and the whole issue of fake meat versus real meat and plant-based products. I've been working with a nutritionist and reading a lot of papers here recently on that. And, you know, there's a point that people who like meat make that I agree with. 
And it's that meat is a really wonderful source of nutrients in the proportions that our body needs them. The essential amino acids are, are really a great case of that. And not that you can't do it eating just plants, but the issue with plants is that we don't digest them nearly as well as would say a cow because a cow is a ruminant and they're able to, their bodies have been designed to do that. Certainly we can eat, we can eat fruits and we can eat vegetables that are lush, but we're not going to digest them to the same degree, which means that, that there's an inefficiency in trying to eat plants relative to having a little bit of meat in the diet. I, I hope I'm making a little bit of sense there, but, but it's how the different things are packaged and how well our bodies are able to digest those. And there's certainly a difference in terms of how well we can digest and access the nutrients that are in plant material versus animal material. Mm. But if we eat a variety of wholesome foods, fruits, vegetables, meat, uh, the, the body is exposed to, to a really great array of the, the kinds of primary and secondary compounds that, that we need. And I, I'm certainly an advocate for, for eating plants of, of various sorts. I, I, there's so much that they bring to the table, I think, in terms of the, their whole phytochemistry, all, the, all those secondary compounds they produce. But then animal foods as well, uh, and uh, that's where I think animal foods that are coming from pastures where animals are eating a diverse array of plants, the meat and fat of those animals is different biochemically from an animal that's coming through, through a feedlot on a much less diverse diet. Mm. I want to acknowledge that, of course, some people express their love for nature and love for animals through different ways. So for some people, that means avoiding certain types of food and maybe avoiding animal products. And other people have other ways of expressing their their respect and awe of nature and of animals. And a profound question that your journey of research and introspection has led you to is the question you raised earlier, which is, what is this entity called me? Because as you say, some scientists believe, based on what we're learning, that down to the cellular level, every cell within plants and animals has a consciousness of its own. And you illustrate this with the story of Claire Silvio, who had a heart and lung transplant in 1988 and started surprisingly craving foods that she had never liked before, only to discover later after reconnecting with the donor's family that the new foods that she craved used to be some of the organ donor's favorite foods. This was not an isolated event. Others who've gone through organ transplants have shared similar stories as well, suggesting again that our organs and cells may have a consciousness and memory of their own that we may not be able to understand. And this then brings up the concept of Hollins that I learned from your book. It's spelled H-O-L-O-N, which refers to a whole that is also part of something bigger than itself. As you define in your book, when viewed from its constituent subsystems, a is a Holin or Hollin? <laughs> Holon? A holon? Holon, yeah. A holon is a unique entity, as is a person viewed from perspective of an organ or an organ from the vantage of a cell. But from another perspective, a holon is an undistinguished portion of a larger system. A cell is part of an organ, as a part of an individual, as a member of a social group, as a part of a landscape. End quote. This is a really profound journey of thought to linger on, and the question that it raised for me is, what is the implication that what we each define as me is simply our level of consciousness of a self? 
because we are a whole with parts that are wholes in of themselves. And at the same time, we're also wholes that are parts of our social fabrics and ecosystems larger than us. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our existence in the human form and our current drastic impacts on our environments that we are a part of? That's a beautiful thing that you're you're talking about. And, and just so, so all that you said to me is just wonderful. And to me, from the the cells right everything is conscious and so it's like a universal collective consciousness and and we all influence one another and so what is the level of the collective consciousness of the whole planet at this time i think about that all of the time how profound that that is one thing in that sense huh? we're, we're one there is no no separateness I've been working on an abstract for a talk. I am the grass, the grass is me, this am I. I was talking about by nature, we identify with our family, our community, our culture, our religion, our politics, our job, our country, and so forth, all the I am's. But that's a trap inflected locally in time and space. Change the time and place, and the I am's change. Transcend the I am's, and we come to I am. The experience of infinite compassion and belonging in the eternity of now manifest as energy and matter endlessly transforming experienced in a visit to earth. That whole idea of once we transcend that I am and realize that our consciousness is a part of the universal consciousness, we are one. One with the transcendent is the way I think it's so beautifully expressed by people. We, we, We are one with the transcendent. So I guess, do you feel like part of what's led us to our current destructive relationship with nature is our focus on our individual selves as being independent entities rather than a part of this larger universe? I do. I think that's that's certainly a part. And I think over my lifetime, how we've become more and more focused on ourselves, on, on our own world, I think as a child where I grew up, there was there was this much more of a sense of a community of of everybody knowing everybody else. You know, when new people would come into our neighborhood, my mother would very quickly go to meet them, bring them something, greet them, bring them into the community. I, and again, I'm getting older now, so maybe I don't. But it just seems we've lost that, that we've become more and more islands unto ourselves. I think of the ranch that I was on back in the day, and the person that I talk about in the book, Henry DeLuca, and his uh, wife and family. And Henry used to have a saying, he said, with one hand you wash the other, with both hands you wash your face. And he says, you know what that means? And the first time he told me, I said, no. He says, we help one another. We all help one another. We're a community of farmers and ranchers. And so you would go over, and maybe not everybody had a machine, but Henry would have, for instance, when I was on the ranch, we'd go over and I would run this old time thrashing machine over at the neighbor's place because they didn't have one. They didn't need it. We, they, Everybody helped one another. But I don't think that's so much a part of the farming and ranching communities nowadays as it was back in the day. We've, we've become more and more independent of one another. And then as a society, we, we've really broken our linkages, I think, with the landscapes that ultimately nurture us, our Mother Earth nurturing all of us. 
Mm. You know, I want to go back to, and you can see what you want to make of this, but back to your point on consciousness and holons and cells being conscious. And certainly cells are conscious, and the membrane is the brain of those cells, and uh, their collective consciousness makes us, and then our collective consciousness, as you were saying. But that's really important to realize for plants, too. I wrote a short essay, I haven't published it yet, on plants and their consciousness. This isn't based on, on just my observations. It's based on years and years of really hard hard science that's being done that's showing Plants are intelligent. Their intelligence is diffuse. It's networked as opposed to what we would consider as our central nervous system, which isn't isn't true, actually, because all these organ systems are are making up our consciousness much more than we realize. But but plants are intelligent. They're conscious. They behave based on consequences to them. You can make the argument that they're they're as sentient as other sentient beings. And so then then one thinks of the irony in a sense of, you know, this world where things live by consuming other things. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a animal with those big brown eyes looking at you or a plant. It's all, it is all conscious. And then to me, it makes me think, well, you know, it's all sacred. It's all sacred in that sense. And if we were to approach it, as everything is is sacred and we are a part of that and our consciousness is a part of that consciousness, then that that becomes, I think, a transformation of consciousness, actually, of how we view this planet and our place on it, in Mm -hmm. it. As Joseph Campbell says, we come from the earth. These are the eyes of the earth. This is the ears of the earth. This is the voice of the earth. We're a part of this. And I, I often think, when I was there in Colorado working on the book in the backwoods and finally slowed down, you know, I had been going fast like everybody does for 35 years or more, 40 years, running, 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 going, and finally went back there and said, okay, enough now. And it was like being a little kid again, actually. It was like, it was just a chance to relax into the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of the whole thing. And I used to think over and over again, and then at night, so in the day, all the beauty of of the natural world, in the night, you look at those stars and you think 200 to 300 million galaxies, each with billions of stars all twinkling. And I used to think, you know, this is heaven. We are in heaven. This is a dimension of it. It's not someplace else. And when Anita wrote in her book after she died and had that profound experience of what we're talking about, that we're one thing, it's one thing. We universally connected in, in, in this powerful feelings of love. And she said, you know, when I realized that what we call heaven is a state, not a place, I decided to come back. I, I often think that it, it's wherever we are. And as Joseph Campbell said, heaven and hell and all the gods, they're, they're right they're right here. They're not somewhere else. And when we transform into wherever we go for the next part, I think we're there. I think just waking up to that. We're in Eden right now. Mm. And finally, through your lifelong journey, observing the external world, nature and its elements, and battling and surviving for yourself depression and cancer, 
One of the most outstanding revelations you've made has to do with transformations. And now with you no longer fearing death, but instead celebratory of the ongoing and inevitable transformations that every life form will make in creation of new life, you noted, perhaps what we view as loss isn't loss after all, but being ever creating new forms, functions, and behaviors from quarks to universe and everything in between, end quote. And there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in these thoughts as your book explores the delights dilemmas, joys, sorrows, pains, qualms, uncertainties, and deep mysteries of the experience of relentless change. But my question is, what if in accepting and embracing that these changes are relentless, we stop fearing the destructions that we're creating in the now and fail to redirect the path that we're going down? Yes, two two thoughts come to mind. On the one hand, it's, you know, in the book, and it, it does talk a lot about that, that you know, it seems that the universe in the process of consuming itself, and those images are are in many world mythologies as well. Huh? That 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 is the the horror of the whole thing. And then then on the other hand, to embrace that and to go with it, but then also to participate, huh? to participate and to say what are some things that we can do that from our at least our I would say from my limited knowledges and abilities to try to intend something that, that seems to be the good. I ponder that what you're raising a lot. And, and I often would make the case throughout my career, the only thing that's constant in this our experience here of this, this planet, this solar system, the galaxies, the universe seems to be that it's changing, 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 energy and matter, changing forms, changing forms, changing forms. And then I... I would tell my colleagues oftentimes in this discipline that I, that I worked with a lot called range science, people are very interested in ecological relationships and plant diversity and how how plants change and what what they consider to be what we all consider to be quote native plants and you know, if you take any kind of a long view of that at all, say the last 20,000 years, we know that what's on these landscapes has changed, 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 changed. And so I used to tease my colleagues, well, if you'd have been here a thousand years ago, what would you have done with this species that you consider native now? You'd try to get rid of it, you know. So it's this idea of change. And it, as I talked about in the book, there's no question we homo sapiens are participating in the sixth mass extinction. For the first time in 200,000 years, we're on the brink of extinction ourselves, one can argue. We're facing some of the greatest challenges our species has ever confronted ecologically, economically, and, and culturally. So then you think, well, this is a predicament that to me is revealing our lack of empathy and sympathy for one another and for life on Earth. Mm. Uh, we hope to survive, I think we have to acknowledge that we're inextricably connected with all life on this planet, and we need to mend our broken linkages with one another and with our, our Mother Earth. I've often thought if we succeed, we'll be reborn individually and collectively in ways that embrace our ever-evolving interdependence with all life. And, you know, as you pointed out, just as the trials we face individually, depression, cancer, letting go of relationships we cherish, our opportunities to transform our conscious awareness, these global trials really are a way to transform the collective consciousness of humanity to nurture life on Earth. Mm. I often think, in that sense, the task we face in addressing the, quote, critical issues 
in a way has little to do with, quote, the issues and everything to do with crossing the divides that polarize and isolate us from one another and and our mother, the planet, our home here on Earth. So in a way, I think we need individually and collectively a transformation of consciousness. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to let you know that I just went live with my second podcast. It's called The Kamea Shane Show, and it's an offshoot of Green Dreamer, so I'll be exploring similar themes and topics in shorter episodes, and they'll mostly be solo, so just you and me. I didn't really plan much before starting it, and that's kind of the point, I guess. It's going to be more open-ended, informal, and casual, and I would love to get your feedback as well on what topics you'd like me to explore, any questions you have for potential Q&A episodes, and etc. It would make me so happy to have you there as well, so please come on over to kameashane.com slash subscribe to get all the links you need to find the podcast. Or you can also just search for The Kamea Shane Show. And to get my episodes and personal newsletter sent to your inbox, you can sign up at kameashane.com slash newsletter. I hope to catch you there, but for now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? What's the most nourishing at this moment is what I would call the book of life out in nature, the miracle of plants and animals, the mystery of being, and just spending time there in nature for me right now is what's most most rejuvenating. I like each evening to sit and watch the hundreds of blackbirds of different species, red wings, yellowheads, starlings, and so forth, as they fly to the marshes that are just to the west of us here, literally hundreds of them. And then in the morning, they'll come and they'll line our our pole and rail fence, just jillions of these blackbirds, and they're down eating in all the native plants that are there. Right now, for me, that's what's most, most uplifting. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and motivated? I have a little prayer that I thought up a while back that goes like this. In awe and humility, I give thanks for my moment on earth with all of its horrors, beauties, wonders, deep mysteries. I'm grateful for family and friends who accompany me on the journey. Mm. I give thanks for the plants and animals who grace this planet, who daily give their lives to nurture my life through meals prepared with love. Bless us and this planet for the greater good, whatever that mystery might be however limited our ability to fathom that mystery. What is one thing you're working on right now for your health? Spending quiet time alone observing life in nature and then spending time with family and friends. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for a healthier planet? You know, I've thought throughout my life of Christ's message of love your enemies. It's hard enough to love your friends. I'm saying this for me. It's hard (laughs) enough. let alone that challenge to love your enemies. And I think that nowadays, and I think of people that are so hard for me to to embrace right now, but I, I, and I need to work harder at this, of trying to learn to love my enemies. Mm. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet and world right now? I think we need to transform a transformation of consciousness that transcends the boundaries that we create the xenophobic thought, culture, and landscape boundaries 
to not just one of interconnectivity, but one of interdependence with all that exists. And for me, I think we need to do this by declaring love, not war, on one another and the planet we inhabit with gratitude for the diversity of life. I've often thought, and I know this is a naive thought, but what if we took all the resources we spend on preparing for war, on declaring war on one another, and put that into, into sowing love and helping one another on this planet. And I, I know that's, I often think how naive that is, but I guess uh, I just have thought that so, so much throughout my life. Mm. Well, certainly by investing more into love than in wars, <laughs> I think we would all be better off. So Hopefully, somehow we can collectively work towards that vision. And Green Dreamer, if you'd like to stay updated on Fred's work and learn more from him, you can head to behave.net. And you can also find his book, Nourishment, which I highly recommend as it's been added to my personal collection of favorites. You can find it at chelseagreen.com. Fred, thank you so much for sharing your insights and deep wisdom with us. What final words of wisdom would you like to share with us as Green Dreamers? I think this this is the question for for all all of us dreamers. Uh, you know, what will become of our species? No one knows the answer to that question in infinite time and space. And maybe in the in the bigger picture, it's it's not so critical. An individual, a species, a universe, I view as ever changing versus of in the language of I am. And what's the source origins of I am? Uh, absolute mystery. But For us at this moment on the planet, I think the question is not if life will continue on Earth. It certainly will. The question is if Homo sapiens will continue to live on Earth. I often think we are in a dimension of heaven right here. We're in the Garden of Eden. If we persist in believing that Eden is somewhere else, a place we inhabit after we die, I think we miss the point. Eden is a state of consciousness not any particular place in the cosmos. It's right here, it's right now, it's wherever we are. If on this planet, though, the love of power and money continue to trump the power of love for one another and our Mother Earth, I think our species is on its way to being thrown out of the Garden of Eden. We won't have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to come visit this, as a human anyway. Maybe we can come back as a paintbrush or uh, <laughs> swallow or whatever, you know, I think these are ways to experience experience the transcendent in, in uh, some place. But we are members of nature's community here on this planet. And what we do to them, we do to ourselves. Only by nurturing them can we nurture ourselves. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. I'd like to take another moment to thank our sponsor, Osea Malibu, a skincare line founded by a family of women inspired by the sea and that formulates botanical-powered products that have shown proven results for all skin concerns. To get $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more, you can head to oseamalibu.com slash greendreamer. Again, that's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash greendreamer. Oh, and if you're in the LA area, make sure to stop by their Osea Venice Skincare Studio for their therapeutic facials. As always, you can sign up to our weekly digest to get solutions-driven news delivered to you at greendreamer.com slash subscribe. And if you want to come say hello to let me know that you're tuning in, you can find me on Instagram at greendreamerpodcast or at Kamea Shane. 
As we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.